From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here, along with Elaine Harlan and our prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl Al Ramsey. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. A special welcome to those of you joining us around the world in places, Elaine, like Malaysia, Paris, France, and uh, Germany. Lots of uh, folks in Germany and uh, the folks uh, even uh, behind the old uh, Iron Curtain are uh, listening as well. Great to have you with us. And uh, this this evening, a, a great privilege as we have the sheriff and under-sheriff of our county here in Stanislaw County. We're going to be talking about not only some of the challenges uh, facing law enforcement today, but uh, how men of God are being used in a very powerful way to execute their positions as uh, as God has strategically uh, placed them in those areas. Anyway, it'll be a great hour. And uh, before we go on with that, though, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Toby Mack with news of another real-life Jesus freak. According to Compass Direct News, the government of Algeria has begun a vigorous new crackdown on Christians. Since January, police have closed up to half of the country's estimated 50 Protestant congregations. In April, a Muslim convert to Christianity while riding in a taxi, was stopped at a police roadblock. Finding a Bible and study books, police charged the 33-year-old convert with printing, storing, and distributing illegal religious material. They held him for five days and fined him 300 euros. Of most concern is how officials appear to have been tracking this convert and his other Christian contacts. For more on persecuted Christians in North Africa, go online to persecution.com. And uh, just a reminder, friends, as we listen to that report from Voice of the Martyrs, what a blessing it is, uh, despite all the problems that we have to live in the United States of America, where uh, I assume anyway I'm not being tracked for carrying a Bible and, uh, and biblical materials. And, of course, we hear uh, weekly reports from other parts of the uh, world and Asia where pastors are being persecuted and, and killed for their faith. So uh, God has given us a great blessing in this country and more reason for us to uh, be good stewards of those blessings that he's given us. And speaking of being good stewards of the blessings that he's given us, let's check in with Brad Dacus and the Pacific Justice Institute. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Youth conference attendees in Sacramento this week had their First Amendment free speech rights violated. You see, Capital Resource Institute hosts the City on a Hill to teach students about the legislative process. Well, these students got more than they bargained for. 
Inspired by the magnificent setting of the Sacramento Capitol Rotunda, the group spontaneously broke out singing the Star-Spangled Banner and then God Bless America. They were halted by security officials informing them that they needed a permit. Well, Pacific Justice Institute is representing the group and intends to defend these patriotic students, ensuring that their First Amendment rights are protected. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. And just a reminder, friends, Brad Dacus and his friends from the Pacific Justice Institute will be here in Modesto uh, this Wednesday the 13th uh, at the First Baptist Church Family uh, Life Center, and this is for uh, pastors and ministry leaders. Brad's going to be talking about the uh, the effects of the recent California Supreme Court decision regarding same-sex marriages, how that affects churches and pastors and uh, the, the legal ramifications of that. Very valuable information. It's it's free. We're going to pray from noon to 1230, and then Brad begins his part at 1230 till about 2 o'clock. If you'd like more information on that, would like to come, uh, please let us know. Give us a call at 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. Let us know that you're interested in that legal brief by Brad Dacus coming up this Wednesday at noon. And, uh, Elaine, just before we uh, proceed to talk about opportunities to serve in our area, a big a big bulk of thanks to our good mm-hmm. friends at Sherwood Bible Church. You know, Ross Bryles uh, leaves for a weekend, and, and I come in and create destruction. And, uh, <laughs> oh, is that no, what that no. was? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for the privilege, friends, of uh, inviting ABC to come in and share the pulpit uh, yesterday. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing and a great time with you. And, uh, again, we look forward to uh, joining you out in the uh, field. That was a lot we, of fun. Yeah, what, a, what a neat people. Then Ross, of course, I think is one of God's secret agents here in the community. God well, just used in a powerful way. Matter of fact, we picked up a couple of new volunteers, Amen. and that's what uh, what we do here at AVC, part of what we do, and uh, some opportunities for you to consider volunteering. A Day of Hope with Car Wash Fundraising uh, to be held Saturday, August 16th. And if you miss that one coming up this weekend, it will happen again on the 20th of September. Uh, between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. at the Citibank uh, at Gear Road in Turlock. Volunteers are needed to help wash and detail cars. I don't know about you, but mine needs it. Uh, this is to raise money for needy families. Groups are welcome. Refreshments provided for volunteers and flexible shifts available between 9.30 and 7.30 p.m. Monetary and non-perishable food donations are greatly appreciated and can be dropped off when you get your car washed. A Day of Hope is a program of the CSU Stanislaw Foundation that distributes baskets of food and turkeys to families in need at Thanksgiving, which will be here before Isn't we know Isn't that amazing? What, what happened? I'm still stuck in know. August of 07. What's up with that? that. Uh, the American Heart Association, 17th Annual American Heart Walk, this year's event theme, Red, White, and Blue. Uh, promoting physical activity and heart-healthy living in a fun family environment. Uh, Saturday, September 13, from 9 until noon at the Modesto Junior College East Campus. That's Saturday, September 20th. Banner Island Ballpark in Stockton and Modesto Junior College East Campus. I think we uh, covered that. 6 a.m. to 12 noon, and uh, you needed to help uh, set up and tear down also to register participants, uh, staff the rest stops uh, with refreshments on course and to help out with fun children's activities, face painting, uh, individuals. In it might help in my case. I don't uh, know. Well, 
take a lot of pain. I don't know. Yeah, Al says even that's not going to help, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Join in the walk. Uh, Lots of fun uh, on this outing. All participants are treated to a continental breakfast. We always like that. There you go. Lunch, prizes, giveaways, and just enjoy the live entertainment and family fun. The American Heart Association is the largest voluntary health organization fighting heart disease, stroke, and other cardiovascular uh, diseases in local communities throughout America. This is going to be a great day of just helping out, meeting new friends, loving your neighbor and sharing Jesus. That's uh, that's what we like. The Haven Women's Center of Stanislaw assisting victims of domestic violence and rape, sexual assault. The center providing shelter and counseling for women and their families fleeing uh, from domestic violence, assisting women with temporary restraining orders uh, through its legal clinic and providing support and advocacy to survivors of sexual assault. Volunteer uh, opportunities include trauma response, Hospital response to domestic violence and sexual assault victims, uh, answering the crisis hotline, uh, support group facilitators, shelter, child care, youth groups, uh, legal clinic and court support information uh, tables and uh, receptionist kind of support. The Haven will be conducting a 72-hour training series for all programs uh, from September 15th through October 22nd. Uh, Classes are held from 5.30 until 9.30 in the evening on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Interested volunteers must pre-register, and to take part in this informative and beneficial training, uh, registration will be closed after the first 20 confirmed applicants. Uh, All volunteers must be at least 17 years of age. You need to pass a fingerprint background check and, of course, attend the training. Now, if these areas kind of yank your chain, so to speak, we ask that you can uh, contact our good friend, Barbara Borba. She can be reached at area code 209-524-1307, extension 113, or you can email email her at bborba at uwaystand.org, or you can always give us a call here at 209-544-9571. We also have some opportunities here for you at uh, the ABC headquarters. We have the perfect opportunity waiting for you. Yes, we want to match what interests you with the needs and opportunities that exist right now in your area uh, that need to be met, all for the glory of God, so that people will see Christ reflected in your acts of service. Things such as uh, giving rides to medical appointments, Uh, mowing uh, lawns for someone who can't do it for themselves, Uh, donating very much needed pieces of furniture such as beds. We have children sleeping on the floors right now. Uh, We have a woman up on the 11th floor of Ralston Tower Mm. uh, who needs a single bed. So if you have a bed to donate, just give us a call here again at 209-544-9571, and we would love to uh, connect you with those opportunities to serve. Well, what a way to come back after a pause in the program, and are we in for a treat tonight as we welcome uh, to Lighthouse Live the Sheriff of Stanislaw County, uh, Adam Christensen, and his right arm man, uh, Under Sheriff Bill Hine. And thanks so much for joining us to have both of you in the same room at the same time. Uh, what a a blessing. It's a logistical challenge. Uh, oh, man. Yes. Great. Thank you be. so much for yes, taking the absolutely. time to be with us. Thank you. Yeah, what thanks. a treat for us, and I'm, I'm sure, I don't know, maybe we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> they had to send both <laughs> of them to take care of us. That's pretty so. sad. We well, just... we, we appreciate the opportunity to be here. So Thank appreciate you. you being here. And uh, I don't know, is this uh, your original home, Adam? No, actually, I was raised in Montana. I was born here in California, raised in Montana, and Ended up back in California in about 1984, 85, because 
I didn't want to be a logger or a miner. <laughs> so Montana's a beautiful state, but it's not a lot of job opportunities there. Yeah, sure, sure. What about you under Sheriff William Hine? Uh, California, your home? Or? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, born in Mariposa, but grew up in uh, Sonora in the foothills, and actually came to Modesto in uh, September of 84 to attend the police academy. Mm-hmm. Wow. And upon graduating from the police academy, started working with the sheriff's office in uh, March of 1985. I've been here ever since. Let's talk a little bit about how law enforcement has changed. And, uh, you know, my initial experience, I went through the L.A. Sheriff's Academy in 1979. That was a long time ago. And, uh, uh, things have changed a lot since then, and I'm sure that as, as you men have uh, tracked full-time in law enforcement over those years, you've you've seen some changes. Uh, Sheriff, what are what are some of the major changes that you think uh, we've seen in law enforcement, say, within the past decade, maybe 15 years? Well, I think the greatest change in law enforcement is probably the demand for our services. Mm. Uh, certainly, we've seen an explosion in technology, which has contributed to a certain criminal element, you know. There's always bad guys out there that want to use different tools to commit the crime of trade. But, uh, you know, as budgets continue to shrink and demand continues to grow, I think our biggest challenge is just meeting the demand for public safety services. Mm. And the only way to truly achieve uh, that success is through partnerships. Mm. You know, you mentioned that before we even got started on the show. The partnerships that we've created throughout the community with education, with the faith-based community, with, you know, charitable and uh, service and and civic clubs, uh, all working together to create an environment, a community that's safe for our children and our families. Under Sheriff, what about uh, in terms of uh, the the legal aspects of law enforcement? You know, what went uh, some 20, 30 years ago doesn't necessarily go today. We've had other Supreme Court decisions. We have... Um, more regulations. Uh, we have uh, uh, people that are keeping tighter watch on how we do what we do. Have you seen some of those administrative uh, things change over the years? Well, it certainly is uh, a challenge uh, in law enforcement now because there are so many uh, laws out there that we are required to enforce, uh, so many mandated training that our, that our officers mm-hmm. must attend. Uh, that we must get them to, uh, whether it's related to domestic violence, whether it's use of force, whether it's uh, pursuit. I mean, it, if you just take the whole issue of pursuit as, a, as an evolving uh, issue within the country, uh, there's a lot of good arguments on both sides as to should we pursue, when should we pursue, when should we call off a pursuit. And I think the thing that's probably changed the most for our officers on the street is they have to be great multitaskers because mm-hmm. they are making critical decisions every day, day in and day out. And, and in a given shift, they can go from interviewing a, a six-year-old girl who's been molested by her grandfather to investigating an elder abuse case to chasing a gangbanger down a dark alley in the middle of the night. Um, that takes a whole different skill set. And uh, and then to top it off, everything they have to do in their vehicle, as far as you know, radio traffic, computer traffic, working at night, and the lighting issues, and all those things, and then taking all those requirements of you know pursuing use of force, use of deadly force. Um, really, the the law, law enforcement officer today is an extraordinary individual. 
and we've got some great men and women that uh, serve us in this in this area. Uh, I just got back from the FBI National Academy, mm. and when I look at the training our officers receive, the quality of law enforcement officers that we have out here, and the relationship that local law enforcement has with its community, we are head and shoulders above the vast majority mm. of the United States. You know, I don't no. think, as regular citizens, that we realize all that that all that our officers, men and women, go through, what you just mentioned. I'm and sure. are, I, they I are just, exposed to things that 99% mm. of our society never sees. And it's probably good they don't. Yeah. Because it does take a toll on our officers when, you know, day after day, you know, they get exposed to little children who have been molested and mm. people killed in traffic accidents and uh, elderly people who have been victims of uh, financial abuse or physical abuse. You know, women who have been raped, those type of things, it's, it's really can take a toll on somebody. And it takes a special person to be able to deal with those things and not let it affect you. Amen. And Pastor Mike, I know you see this in the chaplaincy. Well, and that's a great privilege, and we can talk about that a, a little bit later, but a great privilege for, for many of us as clergy in this city to serve you, uh, number one as chaplains and then serve the public as, as well. And I want to say uh, that you've been out there for, I think, two years now with, uh, with you, and there has never been a time that I haven't been just absolutely impressed with your men and women in the field. I mean, as they're, as they're dealing with some of those very stressful situations, and normally we're being called out on the suicides and the homicides or the unexpected deaths or whatever, and, and your men and women out there just hitting the ball out of the park. You know, I mean, you know, you know, back when when I was in law enforcement, you had a bunch of crusty old guys, you know, and, you know, they smoked cigars and threw them in the back of the squad car. You know, you talk about technology. Last time I was in a patrol unit, there was one slide switch, you know, for the lights, and that was the highest technical thing. Now you got these terminals in there and this just absolutely the technology alone. Man, the, the, you know, the guys and gals that are, that are pushing those cars at night really do have to be those multitaskers and, and uh, be on top of things. But, again, I, I just want to compliment you on whatever you're doing as far as your training goes and under the most stressful situations with the public who's just hitting the wall, you know, with terrible things that ought not to happen to anybody. Your, your people are just absolutely incredible out there. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. One. You know, one of the things that... Uh, we are very proud of is the Sheriff's Regional Training Center. Mm. And that's really where it starts. You know, we're looking for men and women with good leadership quali qualities and attributes. And at the same time, in our academy program, we're teaching them about service and humility and what it's like or what it should be like to be a good public servant. And so a lot of those things you mentioned are because of the, the characteristics of the men and women who work for us, because they really are truly there to serve. And we, of course, are in place to provide them the tools and resources they need to be successful. So, you know, the combination of, of all of that combined with the partnerships in the community, uh, it, it's a very positive result. And oftentimes we as a community perhaps focus on a lot of the negative things that happen. Mm -hmm. Certainly, right. you know, the media, although they're a partner with us as well, have a tendency to focus on a lot of negative things that happen. Sure. Sure. The reality is there's many, many good things happening throughout our community because of our partnerships, because of our work, because of the, the work of the men and women who serve the sheriff's department. So I'm very proud of them. Um, you know, the undersheriff hits it right on the head. I mean, these are folks who 
are there because they're committed and dedicated to public service, Mm -hmm. and they're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking back in in high school, you know, I grew up in the Pasadena area outside L.A., and at that time, you know, the Crips and the Bloods were just kind of starting to come up on the radar screen, and that was, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, we had to deal with it somewhat at, at a distance. But now, the, you know, the gang problem is next door, you know, to us. No matter where we live, we're, we're being affected by it. Tell us a little bit about where we are right now in terms of uh, the gang issues in our county. And, and I know that uh, you have an excellent uh, team out there that's uh, full-time addressing that issue. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing in that regard. Well, we have the Central Valley Gang Impact Team. That's primarily a multi-jurisdictional team of, of law enforcement officers whose primary mission is just intelligence information, intelligence gathering, and kind of keeping track of who the players are. Uh, believe it or not, here in Stanislaw County, we have about 4,000 documented gang members. I'm sure that the number is much higher for those that we don't know about. There's 40 different some gangs, and uh, gangs don't really know any jurisdictional boundaries, and they certainly don't know any ethnic boundaries. Um, every, That's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? It is, mm-hmm. yeah. Every, every ethnicity represented in the community has some type of gang activity. Uh, that's associated with it. And that's really unfortunate because young people today get involved in gangs because they're not involved in other positive activities. And you can tie everything back to families and parents. Mm. Um, and even though we as law enforcement and the rest of the community invest a significant amount, significant amount of time and money in early intervention and prevention programs and, and reaching out to young people, perhaps those youth are at, high, at highest risk, um, we still, it all goes back to mom and dad. It yeah. goes back to what yes. I call core Christian family mm-hmm. values. Mm-hmm. And being involved in what your children are doing and knowing who they're talking to and knowing who their friends are and engaging them in positive things, education and and reading and, and community service and those types of things to keep kids from gravitating toward looking for something else in, in a gang relationship. Unfortunately, we... Uh, you know, I, I blame part of that on the media and Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have a society now that's probably more accepting of behavior that was less accepted several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, gang mentality, the gang lifestyle, gang-related activities are all promoted uh, through music, through movies. Um, you know, let's face it, for those kids who have PlayStation 3s out there, and my son has one of those, but... He only gets to play sports. That's right. Uh, you know, you have Grand Theft Auto 4 where you get points for killing police officers and stealing cars. Yeah. Yet we call that enter- entertainment and we promote it in the community or we promote it and, and people make money. Um, so I think that, you know, we as a society are going to have to step back and take a look at what our family values are in order to hopefully make a difference with young people who get involved in gangs. But, you know, we have a good collaborative effort. Uh, here locally, all the law enforcement agencies work together. Yes. And yes. even though we put a lot of effort into early intervention and prevention, we also put significant effort into enforcement and suppression. And if you want to commit crimes in the community, if you want to victimize and intimidate people who live here, then we're happy to accommodate you in uh, our local facility. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. we were talking earlier, and we do have something very special in this community, Stanislaw County is is there's something 
I think God's doing something very special in our area. We do have our challenges and our, uh, the issues that we, we face here, but there's something very special in our area. We are working together. The partnerships and the networking that takes place here is something very special. There's no denying it in our area, and it's, it's fun to be a part of that. Yeah, I think as, as observers uh, somewhat in the community, as, you know, as, as we look at the uh, – uh, law enforcement community at large. One of the neat things that we see is the sheriff's department and the police departments in the county working together. You know, certainly uh, as, as we go to public meetings, uh, we, you know, we see you and Chief Wasden uh, together singing the same song. You know, uh, many times, and I think to the community, that's uh, that's a very positive thing when they sense there's some unity. We go fishing together. Too. Yeah, oh, right. Absolutely. Who catches yeah. the most in the biggest? <laughs> well, Chief, All right. Chief, Chief, Wasden, <laughs> Chief Wasden is the better fly fisherman, <laughs> but we go fishing together too. So. Cool. Isn't that neat? Yeah. And most people aren't aware that that uh, all of the chiefs in the county uh, once a month get together it's mm. what's called lex and uh, it's a very uh, unified group uh, and we're fortunate because we provide contract police services to four cities so in essence we have uh, four of our lieutenants who attend that as well as the sheriff and so really we have five representatives from the sheriff's office that is on there and really this lex makes the decisions about how we are going to globally from our county's perspective, deal with crime and crime issues, and all the way from legislative to just how we're going to allocate resources. You know, we talked about, uh, and we will be talking more about partnerships between the faith-based community. $400 for my nose, and now my mouth doesn't no work No more today. vacations. I don't know, yeah, no more no. vacations. <laughs> faith-based community. Uh, but uh, just, just in terms of, of law enforcement uh, working together, again, a, a very positive thing. Let's just talk about very briefly, some people may not be familiar with what a contract city is and how that works. There are cities uh, that, that don't have their own police departments, and maybe explain a little bit about uh, how the sheriff's department provides that service for them. Sure. Um, this all started back in the mid-1990s uh, when the sheriff's office was approached uh, to provide contract police services, which in essence it's a city who had their own police department uh, but felt they could get better service and approach crime from a more regional perspective and contracted with our office to provide law enforcement services. So in essence, in the cities of Riverbank, Patterson, Waterford and Houston, they are sheriff's deputies that work there, as well as sheriff's sergeants and a lieutenant who acts as the chief of police of each one of those contract cities. And they deal with crime in that city uh, and provide services to that community. Now, we're in the beginning stages of decentralizing our department out into area commands, which is going to create partnerships within those contract cities not only to provide services to the city, for instance, let's say Riverbank, which is going to be our first area command, but also to the unincorporated areas around the city of Riverbank. So the deputies are going to be working together to deal with crime issues from a regional perspective, um, which we believe is very healthy and productive. Because you live in the city of Riverbank doesn't mean that the methamphetamine house is just outside the city limits, is not impacting what's going on in the city. Sure. And the guy who's doing vehicle burglaries in the city is traveling over to Del Rio Country Club and breaking into people's cars there. Right. And so this is really approaching it from a, from a regional perspective to say we, we know that crooks don't see jurisdictional boundaries. We are going to kind of blur those boundaries for us and let us move back and forth and deal with crime from a regional perspective. So those contract cities are providing us with a unique opportunity because three of them are 
positioned geographically to be very beneficial for us. One is in the East County area in Waterford, one is in the West County area in Patterson, and one is in the North County area uh, in Riverbank. And so we're actually breaking our department down into four area commands, and uh, we're getting ready to do that. We're all at the first area command next week, and then Patterson will start in February. And I hope to get Waterford online. We have some space issues in Waterford with some facilities that we have to work through. But I'm working on that right now with the city manager out there, and we're hoping to get them up and running within the next year uh, to completely decentralize their department out. And we believe we'll provide much better service, much more efficient, much more effective service to the community. What the community is going to see is more deputies on the street, Mm. which people like. They like seeing officers driving down their street at night. And I would imagine the response time is going to be affected in a positive That's one of the way goals. by that. Is yeah, that is one, of the, one yeah. of the goals is to reduce response time, absolutely. Right. You know, and, and, and Sheriff, this is another thing uh, you look at many, many, you know, years ago and, and the philosophy of law enforcement and uh, look at where we've come now uh, through community-based policing and such where uh, the individual officer becomes far more familiar uh, to the people you know, in in his or her beat, and and that has to have been a uh, a major positive over the years, and and something that I'm sure that you've seen to be a positive impact upon the community. It is, and we have community deputies deployed throughout the county in various areas, like Denair and Keys. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them have the ability to utilize other resources at their disposal to address community concerns or problems. Uh, rather than just the enforcement action that most police officers or deputy sheriffs take. You know, now we can bring other disciplines in to try to mitigate, you know, whatever's happening in the community, either, you know, be it speeding or trash or whatever it is, so that we can invest in people's communities. We want to we wanna take them and help them develop, you know, pride in where they live and get them involved as well. So, yes, community policing has been around for a number of years. Uh, we're trying through decentralization and some other means to bring it to a new level. Just before we hit the uh, the break here, let's just talk about the amazing vast amount of geography that you have to cover and you're responsible for in this county. How many square miles do you have to cover? 1,521 square miles wow. in Stanislaw County, about a half a million people, nine incorporated cities, four of which we provided services to, as the undersheriff mentioned. A couple of reservoirs, some off-road vehicle parks. Yes, it's a very large, complex organization. The Sheriff's Department uh, has 800 and some employees and a budget of about $93 million. So we're, we're very busy in the community. And with uh, in an era of shrinking budgets and you know demands to do more with less, that that's got to be a tremendous challenge. And we congratulate you administratively for doing a great job with uh, with what you have to do. And the amazing people you serve, Sheriff. You love people. You're a people person. Your light shines, and uh, all along your campaign, it just uh, it was great to see that that take place. And and you do serve a lot of people and. Uh, it's great to see. Well, it's only fitting that Casting Crowns uh, be our musical selection this week, and they are our signature group. Here's Every Man on Lighthouse Live, and we'll return with lots more afterwards. Toys and playing games I am the one who 
Saturday. I am your daughter's favorite teacher. I'm the leader of the band. I sit behind you in the bleachers. I am every man. Every man, you bet, it's in Jesus. 
We're back with you on Lighthouse Live. Pastor Mike, Elaine, and we just appreciate you listening no matter where that is. And uh, back with our special guest, Sheriff of Stanislaw County, Adam Christensen, and Under Sheriff Bill Hine. And what a great program here in this area. And I'll tell you what, just serving uh, like no other. I think we have something very special in this county, second to none here in California anyway. I don't know about the rest of the nation, but certainly here in California. And, and glad to hear about all of the programs that are available. And uh, during the song, uh, Under Sheriff was explaining to us something about the vocational program and uh, uh, you want to just continue uh, explaining that for us? Uh, under sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, we have about 1,400 inmates that uh, are in our facilities on any given day. And we have about another four to 500 that are in our alternative work program, as, as well as uh, about 100 or so in electronic monitoring. They're in their homes, and we actually monitored them uh, from, a, from a one location. Um, and as we look into the future, we definitely see some issues at the state level, at the state prison level particularly. They have about 40,000 more inmates incarcerated than they actually have room for. Mm. And it's very possible that a federal judge may order uh, the state prisons to start releasing those inmates. Uh, and, of course, if they do, those individuals are going to come back into our community. And the likelihood is that they will reoffend and they'll end up back in our facilities. So our challenge is how do we handle an influx of state prison inmates coming back into our facilities? They're certainly a much more sophisticated uh, prisoner than our local uh, inmates are. Um, and so part of our discussion over the past several months is how do we create room in order to accommodate them? And along the same lines, as I mentioned uh, when we're uh, listening to the song was, what is the expectation of the people that live in Stanislaus County uh, in regards to inmates that come into our facilities? What do they want us to do with them? Do they merely want us to house them for a given period of time that the, the courts have ordered and then just release them back into the community uh, the same as when they came in? And I believe the overwhelming response from anyone in our community would be, no, we want you guys to try to do something with them so they won't reoffend once they get out. And one of our goals is to uh, reduce our recidivism rate, uh, particularly among our male population, because it is our largest population by far. Um, I hold a personal conviction that, and I believe Scripture supports me in this, that if a man does not work, um, that is a problem. It is what we are called to do as men, is to work and provide for our families. And so a lot of these young men that come into our facilities don't have the skills, don't have the self-discipline, they don't know how to interview for a job. Um, and so some of the stuff we are exploring is expanding our vocational training program. We currently have a, uh, a very healthy welding program mm. uh, that there are 17 men that are currently in. And the goal is to provide them with the skills they need to go back out into the community and become productive members of society, get a job, pay taxes, raise my family, provide for my family. Uh, because as the sheriff mentioned early on, we believe a lot of the issues that we face are, the, are as a result of a lack of a strong family for a lot of these young kids. And in particular, for men, is a, a lack of a strong male role model. And so one of our goals is to explore uh, all the potential uh, ways of providing vocational job training and then working with businesses within the community 
that are willing to say, hey, I'll, I'll set aside two or three or four jobs with my company. Uh, this is the training they need, and when they're coming out of jail, I'm willing to take them on and to provide them whatever additional training they need and to give them a chance at a life of productivity uh, and, and get them out of being, you know, the, the sucking of our resources and actually producing something in our community. You know, that's really what one of our goals is. And I think we can be very effective as we partner with businesses within the community that are willing to do that. It really does take that partnership. I mean, you know, a lot of guys in prison receive training, but it's not the kind that we'd want them to have when they come back out. You know, they've learned a a new skill set, not necessarily the kind that we need. You know, so this is a a wonderful idea. Uh, Sheriff, what about businesses? And uh, receptive to that idea, is that that a a challenge for us in terms of encouraging businesses maybe to take that risk and and, uh, hire an offender coming out uh, to give them a chance? Well, I know there are local businesses who have taken that chance. I think it's something mm. we have to market and, and mm. work with them directly to provide a product or provide a person who can, you know, get out of bed and come to work and get there on time and, and be productive during that right. period during the day. You know, the other problem we have with offenders and trying to rehabilitate or provide vocational opportunities or life skills uh, or parent, parenting skills or any of those things and those partnerships we have and, and the services we provide is keeping that individual out of the environment that they were in in the first place that created the problems. So, you know, we provide them with all the training and, and give them a second chance at life, essentially. The challenge is then to keep them from going back to previous associations uh, that, you know, got them involved in drug activity and addiction and all of those things that go on. So, you know, there again, you know, you talk about the partnerships. There's programs throughout the community that are very successful. Um, you know, Vince Chase has a program, and off the top of my head, I can't think of the name of it, but it's very good. I know that Fred Bigler and, and some folks down at the Office of Education with Tom Chignon, who's our yeah. superintendent of schools, you know, they've got some great family life skills programs that really helps parents be good parents. Unfortunately, it's a choice. You have to want to do that. Exactly. Well, I think one of the great things, and, and Elaine, uh, you, you have a team and you personally attend this twice a month, is, mm-hmm. are the PAC meetings. Yes. As offenders come out of prison, they, they come to these uh, uh, meetings, and our, our good friend, uh, State uh, Parole Agent Wayne Davison, heads those up. And what a great thing, you know, where you have the faith-based community, you have DMV, you have uh, Child Protective Services, you have, uh, you know, uh, Social Security, you have all of these resources there in one room as these guys and gals are coming out of prison, and uh, obviously law enforcement is there as well. They have everything, practically everything they need there to make a connection, to make it work, you know, when they get out. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, Elaine, that's one of those microcosms that uh, we've seen that is just a, a dynamite thing, and we've seen many people be affected by we that. We have, and, and again, like the undersheriff says, that recidivism rate, you know, that's what we want to see. Uh, come down. And unfortunately, you see a lot of the people return because as we attend those meetings, I see faces that I've seen two, Mm -hmm. three, and four times. I'm wondering, and maybe both of you can address this, how does the body of believers respond to these situations? How can the church react to a group of people that we're discussing here today? You know, I think the faith-based community does a lot now, uh, especially with our young people. You know, I think everybody invests considerable time and resources in 
making the community a better place to live. I oftentimes sit back and, and wonder myself, is there something else we can be doing? Hmm. Is there something that we can do that we haven't thought of yet? I think the church does a great job. Um, I, I'm just not sure what more we can do to try to have a, a positive impact on what's happening in the community and people's lives. You know, that issue of heart change under Sheriff Hine, I think, is a, a major deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, that doesn't occur without the faith-based community getting out and getting connected, uh, you know, with, with the neighborhoods. And uh, that's why we are so passionate about getting people out of the pews and into the community to serve. It's that, that connection that, that makes a, a difference. You know, we've attended many uh, meetings over the past, I'd say, year and a half. And I know I'm going to mess up his last name. Sergeant Rick, is it Armendariz? Armadaris. Armadaris. I'm sorry, Armadaris. Close. Uh, Very close. I was, I was close. Armadaris. Uh, mentioned uh, something that, that you, uh, both of you echoed just a moment ago. Uh, he was asked, I remember in this public forum, you know, with all the programs that we have and all of this, what is the single, the single thing that is going to make a difference in addressing the gang and the drug problem in this county? And, you know, without hesitation, it all blew me away, he says, the family. You know, the parents. family. That's it right. comes yes. back to the parents. That's true. Uh, and, and of course, uh, you know, what we battle within the church and outside the church is, is the breakup of the family and, you know, dads that are, that are not there, moms that are not there, you know, grandma's trying to raise, you know, three families at the, at the same time. From your, uh, perspective under sheriff, both, uh, in, in your position and also as a, as a man of God and as a, as a church leader, what, what are some of the things that we can do better as a faith community and in terms of uh, affecting our neighborhoods and, and helping, uh, helping keep that family unit together? Well, I think that, um, you know, any time you have uh, a breakup in a home, it's the children that always suffer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it is, there are so many reasons why that takes place, but when it really boils down to it, it's selfishness. Mm. It's more concerned about me than I am about my children. And to try to communicate that to people um, is its difficult. Yeah. I don't know if they quite understand the concept. Um, you know, I think as, as believers, living our lives as example in front of others, uh, husbands loving their wives the way Christ loved the church. Um, you know, that is a foreign concept, and it's one of, of self-sacrifice. It's one of laying down our desires yeah. for the betterment or for the, my wife and my children. Uh, be willing to make those sacrifices uh, for my children. That may mean that uh, I don't buy that speedboat. I don't buy that yeah that golf club set that I've always wanted, so I'm on the golf course four or five days a week. Um, that's a foreign concept in our, in our culture. Yes. Uh, and it's not, it, it's not something that's going to be easily changed overnight. I think it's something that the church needs to live out, mm -hmm. and as they rub up against people day in and day out in their lives, uh, people, they see it, and they notice it, and then they want to ask the question, man, that, there is something different right. here. What, what is going on? Why, why does your family look the way your family looks? And there's your open door for Absolutely. sharing with them 
really have to model it. You really do. Really, you really, because you can talk all you want, but if you're not right. living it, you got to walk. It, it doesn't out. mean anything. We're visiting uh, this afternoon with uh, Sheriff Adam Christensen under Sheriff William Hine. We'll be right back after this. Deep needs, deep hurts, spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet, thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. The challenge? Activating those resources and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus' command in Matthew 22:39, to love your neighbor as yourself. The church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community. Advancing Vibrant Communities researches those needs, then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs. The very first story that Mike told about AVC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet within my own community. And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective. This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs. And then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. AVC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department. Habitat and AVC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others. AVC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. AVC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. AVC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. AVC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. Well, it works. And I, I, I believe that as in our companies, as being uh, formerly a businessman in, in, in Stanislaus County and, and uh, other counties in the state as, as, as well, that uh, our companies were only as, as successful as our weakest link. And I believe that to be the same case in our communities and in our cities, that we can only be as much as we're going to be based upon the capacity and the ability of others to participate at an increased level and quality of, of life. You know, some of us can do, donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers were interested in me and what I needed in my life. You know, it is not only hearing it, 
but it's seeing them and it's being there in person and seeing the, the need that they have and hopefully being able to do something about it. I will tell you as you know, your chief of police in the city of Modesto, we need your help in the community making a difference. Volunteer, I know we can put you to work and I, I promise you, if you get involved, you'll feel better. You'll be happier. How can we partner with you to meet the needs of our city? We ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. Advancing vibrant communities, faith in action, pure, simple, proven effective, carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live, Pastor Mike and Elaine, and just want to thank you for tuning in wherever you may be listening this evening. You know, Sheriff and Under Sheriff, uh, during the break we were talking about something that's cause for celebration, and I guess sometimes uh, maybe we're a little bit leery to uh, to celebrate something like this, but on the other hand, it's a credit to uh, what you've been doing in the community, uh, gang homicides last year. What? Uh, how many did we have? Well, in the past year, since uh, in a week, it'll be one year uh, since we've had our last gang homicide. So we've gone a year, almost a year now, without a gang-related homicide. Isn't that neat? Within our jurisdiction, which includes four contract cities and uh, the unincorporated areas of Stanislaus County. And I would also say that in the last uh, eight months, we've only had one homicide in our jurisdiction. Isn't that amazing? Um, Which was a gentleman who beat that child to death, if you remember right over there. Yeah, and, and, you know, again, you talk about the stresses and strains, you know, the landing the chopper and the, uh, the MPD officer jumping out and, and uh, all the things they had to go through his mind and all of that. Now, what, what an amazing thing, you know, the, the, the blessing that God has given us with, with quality law enforcement officers in our area. I mean, that, that was just a, an amazing thing that went down. Sad. Uh, absolutely, but uh, also just very speaks very well of the combined law enforcement response in our area. A very commendable, uh, commendable job, gentlemen. You're you're both uh, men of faith, uh, operating in uh, incredibly uh, uh, awesome positions within the county. And uh, let's just talk a little bit. We have just a few minutes left about uh, your sense of of God's calling and uh, as as men of God. Uh, what, what do you feel God is speaking to you about in terms of your role as sheriff and under-sheriff in this county? Well, I think it's the teamwork. You know, I I gave my life to the Lord years ago as a young person. I was raised in the Adventist church. Um, I, I'm, you know, I believe in faith and I believe in prayer and I believe in seeking wisdom from God, guidance and direction. Um, I saw that, uh, a lot of that in Bill. I also saw uh, certainly a lot of, you know, the values, what I called, you know, core Christian family values that we shared. Um, you know, he's been in law enforcement a little bit longer than I have. Mine's, I've only been in law enforcement for 20 years. Started with the Sheriff's Department in 1996, but there was plenty of opportunities that came my way, and certainly I think God had a part of that. Um, but as the election drew near and I was looking for somebody that I could work with, somebody that I needed by my side to help me and to really help the entire department and the community move forward in public safety, that was Bill. Oh, yeah. And I asked him to be my undersheriff. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I think it was before the election, and I said, if we win. <laughs> um, he, he was certainly more convinced that we would win. Uh, so 
but uh, you know, it's it's a good partnership, and and it also extends to the department itself because a lot of the things we've already talked about go toward what I call servant leadership, um, lead like Jesus, and and we try to promote within the organization an environment of servant leadership where we're you know making sure the employees have what they need to do their job before you know we get anything. We want to make sure that people work in an environment where we demonstrate that we care about them and they can trust us. And a lot of those things that uh, are oftentimes perhaps misplaced or absent from law enforcement organizations, we're trying to do a better job of promoting family, uh, taking care of people, and really making sure that not only are our expectations met, but that everybody understands our guiding principles of honesty, professionalism, mm-hmm. integrity, and respect. That they understand that we are here to serve the people. Uh, you know, I may not work for uh, the Board of Supervisors, um, but certainly I work for the people who elected me to represent sure. them. Absolutely. Don't you love that servant leadership? I love that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good concept. <laughs> yes. We're, uh, we're bumping the clock just a little bit. Under Sheriff uh, William Hine, maybe if you can... Uh, just tell us, how can our people pray for uh, you and the sheriff and administration of the sheriff's department and for the department as a whole uh, for the future of this county? How, how can we intelligently pray for you? Well, I believe, uh, you know, we make uh, critical decisions every day. Uh, each of the, the chiefs and, and law enforcement officers in this community pray to, that we have wisdom in the decisions that we make. Um, and, you know, one of the things that the sheriff mentioned is we really want to raise the bar on what is expected of our officers in regards to ethical behavior yes. and the decisions that they make. Uh, and uh, that is a challenge uh, because uh, there are those out there uh, even in law enforcement, who want to take advantage of the position of power they've been given by the people, and it's a tremendous uh, responsibility. We've been given the power of life and death. That's right. And at any given time, many of our officers could take someone's life, uh, and we could also incarcerate someone for a long, long time. And if we are doing it in an unethical way, uh, then we've got some major problems. Amen. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. And just want to say as one of your chaplains, a uh, deep privilege to be able to serve you in the department and a great honor to be on board with you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for joining us. May God bless you. <laughs>